Makes you want to dance, doesn't it? You don't want to see me try that. So good morning, how you doing? It's great to see you guys. Good to be here together. Um, this is our last week in our family series, Friends and Family Makes Family. Next week, we're very excited that um, a missionary family that we can't tell you their name because this is being recorded, but um, they're from a, a very um, sensitive nation in North Africa, but they're going to be with us, and he's going to bring the message next week at our combined service. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be incredible. <clears throat> These last weeks, as we've been talking about family, we've looked at several things. Uh, Jim started us off by helping us see what it means to be a Matthew 28 disciple-making kind of person, kind of family. Then we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the responsibility that we have to teach the next generation about Jesus. And last week we looked at Ephesians 6 and we talked about some roles that, that children or followers have and responsibilities that parents or leaders have to nurture now, maybe as we've gone through these few weeks, you've been saying, you know, my friend and my family relationships are not really following the things we've been talking about. And you know what? It looks like everybody else's are. I think I'm failing at this. Well, if you feel that way, you're not alone. All of us, when we are honest, would recognize that, yeah, we feel like things aren't going as great as they should either. And sometimes we think the normal family looks like this, right? This is the normal family. This is a sculpture by Sheila Ettinger. It's a cool work of art. And you know what it's called? The normal family, for real. Guess where it's located? Not making this up, normal Illinois. <laughs> I, I think it's a bit idealistic. Teresa and I were talking. We've been married for 28 years. We have three kids uh, and, a, and a son-in-law. All of them are great. But we have no family portraits that look like this at all. Nothing close to this. Teresa and I gazing longingly in each other's eyes. Children happily along with us at our feet, gazing at us, saying, Father, Mother, give us wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny because last Sunday, it was funny to me, but last Sunday um, I was talking to some people after worship services, and last Sunday was what? It was Mother's Day. And three different families talked about how, man, today we just like, argued with each other, and we had a hard time getting here on time, and man, it was a tough morning. If that can happen on Mother's Day, it can happen any day. But haven't we all painted that smile on our face and put on that, everything's cool, we're good, look, and we just kind of go through the motions, pretend everything's going fine, even though we know it's not. The pressure to look like that normal family or person just builds and builds and builds. Look, if I'm not perfect, revelation, I'm not. 
and you're not perfect, revelation number two, you're not, then we get, when we get us together, we're not going to be perfect. So can we just allow God to sort of take that away, just release that pressure to try to pretend like everything's always going great, and allow him to build us up an environment of authenticity and trust and hope and love. Now, don't misunderstand. We still desire to strive and to be like Jesus. Followers of Jesus should look more like him today than they did a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. But the truth is we are still works in progress. This might be encouraging to you. It is to me. The Bible is full of stories of people who were not perfect. They were broken and they had really challenging situations. Here are just a few of them. The very first family has two sons and one of the brothers kills the other one. Very first family. All of Job's children are having a party and eating and drinking together, and they all die. All of them. Abraham and Sarah were wanting children really bad, but they were old. There are a lot of people in the Bible who suffered from that great longing to have children, and it's just not going to happen. And it's heartbreaking for them. Other people have other kinds of pain. Leah's husband loves her sister. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Bathsheba was brought to King David's bed, and she became pregnant. Then her husband was killed, and she was brought to be David's new wife. David's own son tried to kill him. Many kings and queens actually killed their own families or were killed by them. Tamar's story has many, let's just say, graphic details. And yet, she is one of four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and all four of these women were in relationships and families that were what we would call abnormal. Hosea's wife kept running out on him to be with other men. At some point, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph, either died or he took off. And Jesus was never married, so he didn't fit that picturesque statue. Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, was probably married at some point, but later on it looks like he was single, which means either his wife died or they separated or divorced. And that same guy, Paul, used to be called Saul. And you know that, that he persecuted, he looked on and cheered 
as Christians, people who followed Jesus were executed. Now, there's another guy named, well, we don't know his name. We just call him the Ethiopian eunuch. I don't know if you know what a eunuch is or not. If you don't, you might not want to look it up. (laughs) But it was definitely abnormal. And it wasn't this guy's choice either. People in the Bible suffered from all kinds of diseases, problems, disorders, and issues that set them apart from the normal people around them. Now, sometimes, sometimes things happen that are just a result of the sin and the brokenness in this world, but there's not a direct correlation between a sin and then some kind of consequence. For example, Jesus healed a blind man, and everybody wanted to know why he was blind, who sinned. And Jesus said, nobody. No one made a bad choice, and suddenly you're dealing with cancer or heart disease or autism or bipolar issues or deafness. But other times, things do go wrong as a direct result of someone's behavior. Hatred, greed, selfishness, lust, envy, pride, arrogance, addiction, betrayal. You may be facing some horrible consequences because of the choices someone has made. Now, whether guilty or not, all of us experience times when things go wrong. Circumstances are really messed up, and it seems hopeless. We're talking about real challenges, not something like this true story. Recently, a woman called 911 from a Subway restaurant. It wasn't because the store was being robbed or because someone was having a heart attack. It was because they put marinara sauce on her flatitsa and they weren't changing her order. So she called 911. True story. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about those kinds of crises. We're talking about real difficult circumstances. The story of Peter and Jesus is an example of this. And it has real challenges. Jesus and Peter are family. They're not related physically, but they are closer than friends. They are like family. So Peter, who is this outgoing, brash, confident man, who literally once walked on water, who proclaimed Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, this man chose to deny he even knew Jesus when Jesus was falsely arrested and beaten and executed. Peter didn't deny Jesus once or twice. He denied him three times and then he ran away. When Jesus needed him most, he was nowhere to be found. Now, do you think their relationship might have had a little bit of issue. There might have been something going on, some severe damage was there. Things have gone wrong, really wrong. But that's not the end of Peter's story. We hear more of it when we go 
to John chapter 21. And the rest of this story here helps us see that God can work to do good things and make restoration. So let's read this starting in verse 1 of chapter 21 of John. Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, <laughs> they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did, and they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and swam ashore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the net uh, to the shore, for they were only out about 300 feet. When they got there, they saw that a charcoal fire was burning and fish were frying over it, and there was bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish in it, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And no one dared ask him if it was really the Lord because they were sure of it. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The truth is, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So let's journey back through this text quickly and see if there are some messages that God has for us today. In verses 1 through 4, the disciples' expectations of this amazing life with Jesus are gone. They had looked forward to an earthly kingdom, an earthly reign with glorious days, and now they realize that's not going to happen. Their bubble has burst. They don't know what else to do, so they just go back to what they know. They go back to their normal, their escape, and they're just going through the motions. You've had those days, haven't you? Those seasons, expectations of marriage, of friendship, of relationship, those have been shattered. You realize it's not what you had hoped for. 
you don't know what else to do, so you return to your normal or to your escape, whatever that is. And now you are just going through the motions. If that's where you are, God has a message for you. He's calling you to something better, to hope again. The disciples are fishing. Again, that's what they know. And you, you have to love Jesus' question in verse 5. He says, hey, catch anything? No. <laughs> Basically, Jesus is saying, so, how's that working out for you? <laughs> but then he invites them to try again. He takes something they're very familiar with, something old, and he makes it new. They don't even recognize this Jesus, but they still follow his advice. You know, God still speaks to us through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through the counsel and wisdom of, of other Christians. And if advice makes sense spiritually or physically or emotionally, if it aligns with the word of God, act on it. It might just be God, even if you don't recognize it yet. <clears throat> In verse 7, once the disciples do realize this, Jesus, they hurry to him. And of course, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims. At least he didn't try walking on water this time. <laughs> but the rest of the disciples get things together and they hurry to Jesus as well. See, when you recognize that it's Jesus, you need to hurry to him. Row your boat, <laughs> or just go crazy and jump in and start swimming, swimming like mad. And when you get to him, you need to spend time with him. This applies to any relationship that's messed up. When something is broken, we need to get together and work on it. Spend time together. Now, notice the environment here surrounding Peter and Jesus. There are several things. They meet face to face. That's really important when you want to build or rebuild a relationship. And they share a meal. There's something deep about eating a meal together. It's almost a spiritual event. There's another thing about the environment. Notice that the disciples are just waiting. They don't try to lead. They wait for Jesus to guide the conversation. And for a while, it looks like it's just quiet. Nobody says anything. See, sometimes when we finally recognize the voice of God, we rush to him, and then we get impatient as we don't wait for him. But being patient and humble as you approach God is a really good idea. It's wise and beneficial in any relationship, especially if healing and restoration need to take place, and even more if you're the cause of the problem. So be patient. Wait. Listen. Let the other person lead as necessary. The silence is broken in verse 15, and Jesus begins to talk, and it's core issue stuff. No more, how's the fishing? 
he gets right to the heart of the matter. And the disciples might have been thinking, well, that silence was kind of uncomfortable, but this, this is painful. Peter's certainly not enjoying it. However, even though it's painful, it's necessary. Avoiding the issue doesn't fix it. In love and compassion, address what needs addressing. Some context is important because back in Matthew 16, Peter says, you are the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, you're blessed because of that. And I don't know, I'm not even calling you Simon anymore. Your name is now Peter, the rock. And on the truth you have just proclaimed, I'm going to build my church. Now, you kind of wonder if Peter was thinking, I'm never going to look back. Whoa. Never going to give it up. No. (laughs) Just don't wake me now. This is going to be the best day of my life. I remember when I confessed Jesus as my Savior and Lord, and I was like, never going to look back, never going to give it up. I don't want anyone to wake me. This is the best day of my life. And then things changed, and I lost some of that passion. And when things got tough, I got soft. Can anybody relate to that? In our story, notice at this point, Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He uses his old name, Simon. That name takes Peter back to the time before he made that confession. And Jesus is taking him back there for a reason. Andrew Knowles said, After breakfast, Jesus and Peter talk heart to heart. Jesus doesn't call him by his nickname Peter, which means rock, but by his old name, Simon. Since Peter has so vigorously denied Jesus, they must now relay the foundations of their relationship. Here's how Jesus does it. He asks a critical question. Simon, do you love me? And he asks him not once, not twice, three times. Some scholars say it's because of Simon's response the first time. Because Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And and the word there is agape. That's unconditional I love you more than anything or anyone else kind of love. And when Simon replies, he says, Lord, you know I love you. The word there is phileo. Different word. So Jesus asks a second time, Simon, do you love me, agape? Simon replies, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. The third time, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Phileo. Simon says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Phileo. If that interpretation is correct, it's a wonderful picture of Jesus meeting a person where they are. But whether it's correct or not, one thing is absolutely certain. 
Jesus is taking Simon back to this point of his denial when Peter denied Jesus three times. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's the same question that I asked my kids when they say they were somebody they wanted to date. Do they love Jesus? I'm not a genius to come up with that question. It's a really good question to ask. Because the answer to that question is critical. See, Peter believes that Jesus is the Savior. He believes he's the Son of God. The book of James tells us that demons believe that and they tremble. But loving Jesus, that's a totally different thing. Do you love Jesus unconditionally with your words and with your actions no matter what? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to love him? Are you going to embrace him? Are you going to stand with him and for him? Saying I love you is a good thing. Showing I love you is a very good thing. Doing what is asked of you demonstrates love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You will keep my commands. You'll do what I ask. And here Peter responds verbally, yeah, you know I love you, Lord. And Jesus gives him something to do. He says, take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. What if Jesus had said, clean out my wood shop or do some jumping jacks or love your neighbor or your enemy or throw your net on the other side of the boat? If you love Jesus, your response is, okay, since you asked, I'll do it. Your nonverbal response demonstrates whether your love is real or not. When you're working through core issues, it may take just one conversation to deal with it. It may take years of conversations, but led by the Holy Spirit, change and movement can happen, and you can go forward together. And no matter where you are, Jesus will meet you there. And no matter where you are, Jesus will move you forward from there. Ask forgiveness as needed. Grant forgiveness as needed and move forward. And it may be a situation that, again, is just hard. No one has created this. It's just broken world kind of stuff. You need to be together. You need to talk about the hard things and move forward together. And like Peter, you don't, you don't have to walk that path alone. Jesus is going to walk with you every step. Now there's another thing about the environment of this story. There's a fire there. A few chapters before this story, John tell, talks about when, when Peter is denying Jesus. And you know what he's doing? He's standing next to a fire. Here, Jesus builds a fire and he invites Peter and the other disciples to sit with them. And Jesus restores their relationship. That's not a coincidence. Something that 
that Peter had probably seen as a reminder of rejection now becomes a reminder of restoration. God just does stuff like that. Now notice the words of Jesus to Peter at the end of verse 19. Follow me. Those are the very words that Jesus said to Peter when they first met. Back in a scene very much like this one. In a fishing scene. And Jesus said, follow me. And takes Peter back to the beginning. To when things were pure. Back to his confession. When he said, yes, Lord, you're the son of God. Takes him back to the point where he denied him. And then moves forward and says, let's go together. So, are you following Jesus? Are you being changed by him? Are you pursuing his mission for your life? Are you part of his family? (laughs) You can be. You can. Give your life to Jesus, however abnormal it may seem to you. And let God do his normal work, which is bringing good from abnormal situations and restoring them to something beautiful. This is not the end of Peter's story. It continues. The prophecies that Jesus made about Peter come true. In Acts chapter 2, Peter boldly preaches about Jesus, and 3,000 people confess him as Lord and Savior and are baptized, and the church begins. A couple chapters later, Peter is arrested and he's beaten, and they say, you have to stop talking about Jesus. And he says, I just can't. I have to share the good news. In Acts chapter 10, Peter opens up the kingdom to people who aren't Jewish, which is us. He opens up the kingdom to the Gentiles as God directed him. And tradition says that at the very end of his life, Peter was crucified for his faith. And at his request, he was crucified upside down because he said he didn't deserve to die the way that Jesus died. Peter fed the sheep and took care of the lambs to the very end, as Jesus said he would. Jesus asks us the very same question that he asked Peter. Do you love me? And he gives us the same command that he gave to Peter. Follow me. While we sing this song of dedication, consider God's call on your life. Wrestle with some questions. Who is Jesus calling you to be? What is Jesus calling you to do? Where is God telling you to go? Who is he leading you to serve? What change is the Holy Spirit working in your life today? Do you love Jesus? Are you willing to follow him? Where do you stand? If you want to talk about what that looks like, 
or just come front and uh, come up front and pray. If you want to make a commitment to God, please do that. Let's stand and let's sing.